Thanks to Audible for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. For a limited time, get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash dreamjob or text dreamjob to 500 500. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I want to give you guys an update. Um, I didn't know any of this before I got into writing my own book and started down the journey. But um, basically the Wednesday after your book comes out, which was yesterday, you find out if your book hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I got a call from my publisher yesterday and she said, Kathy, good news and bad news. She said, the good news is that across all of Macmillan, she said, you were the biggest selling book behind Elton John and Nikki Haley. Then there was you. She said, everyone is so impressed because last time I checked, you're not in politics and you're not a rock star. And you had the third biggest selling book across all of Macmillan, all of the different departments. So she said, we're so proud of you. She said, the not as good news is that you're not this week on the New York Times bestseller list. And I was disappointed, but thank God for friends of mine like Seth Godin and Chris Gillibo, because last week I heard from Seth and he said, Kath, back away from the list. He said, it is, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with it. And he said, I don't want it to break your heart. He said, you're a good person and you wrote a terrific book and that's what matters. And I started to cry last week. I said, what does he mean? I thought that this was going to happen. And you guys, I realized that the way that it works is it's not as though the New York Times reads a bunch of books and then says, these are our 10 favorite books. Instead, it's about who sold the most copies in a given week, not even cumulative, like in one week in a snapshot, who sold the most. It also means that if you've been on the New York Times list for 14 weeks or 54 weeks, you could still be on the list. So it's not as though there's 10 new spots every week for 10 new authors. So on this week's list, you have people like Donald Trump Jr., who sold like 70 or 80,000 copies a week. And there's all these other famous people, like I mentioned, Nikki Haley, Elton John. The only one person on the list who was new to the list this week, who hadn't been on for the last several weeks or several months, was Tim McGraw. So yeah. And the thing is that you guys are truly awesome. And I feel it. I feel how much you support me and love me. And here's the best part. You showed me that the book was actually a better book than I even thought I wrote. The responses I've been getting, the reviews I've been getting, you've you've touched my heart and you've let me know like, yeah, this book it's making a difference in my life. And that's, that's the best part. Also, my friend Chris Gillibo let me know that when he first met Brene Brown, her book had already been out for a while and it had not yet been a New York Times bestseller. And it eventually got there. It just got there, even though she wasn't famous or a rock star, it eventually led, led herself to the list because people just loved it so much. They bought it for their friends and so on and so forth. Same thing with Jen Sincero, whose book is so great. A lot of people's book don't hit the first time, but who knows? In any case, what matters to me, it's not lists, it's you. And it's the fact that this show means everything to me. And I so appreciate all your support. What I will tell you though, that I didn't know is that there's another New York Times list that comes out at the end of the month, which has to do with audiobooks, the best-selling audiobooks. And why this even matters, since it's all numbers now that you know, it's not about like someone, you know, sitting down with a quill and going through books and, you know, circling things and going, this is the one. Yes. Yes. Since it is all numbers, why does it matter? Because when the book gets that sticker, New York Times bestseller, it means more bookstores will carry more of them. Target will have them, airport bookstores, all of that stuff. So in any case, we have a shot of being on the audio New York Times bestseller list, which still counts a lot. And here's what's super crazy. It just so happens that our sponsor today is Audible and they have an amazing deal. It's like half off of their normal subscription. If you go to audible.com slash dream job, when you do that, you get to download, I think it's two Audible originals and one audiobook. So you can go take them up on this and you can go grab my audiobook, which would mean the world to me. 
Also, it just turns out last minute, I found out I will be in Nashville December 1st, Sunday night. So if you live in Nashville, um, let me know. And uh, I'll post all those details on uh, my Instagram and on the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. So love you guys. And just wanted to say, I'll let you know as we add more book signing dates to the calendar. But thank you guys for everything. All right. Well, I'm so excited because I know you're going to love today's show. Um, we have the incredible Alex Benayan back on. He's the author of the phenomenal international bestselling book, The Third Door, The Wild Quest to Uncover How the World's Most Successful People Launch Their Careers. The first time he came on the podcast, we talked all about how he wrote this book because he had to find his way to the people he interviewed, Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Larry King, Maya Angelou, and every single person he got to was like a whole journey in and of itself. It took like 10 months to get to this person, six months to get to this person. It was an amazing journey. But today, we're going to dive into some behind the scenes of the struggles he faced when trying to just get his book deal off the ground and how he built a really successful career as a speaker, speaking at conferences, companies like Apple, Google, Disney, IBM. Alex has been on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, Business Insider's Most Powerful People Under 30, and he's been featured in major media, including the Washington Post, Fortune, CNBC, MSNBC, Fox News, and NBC News. You guys, it's really incredible how his journey has evolved. And if you weren't already inspired by his first episode, this one is going to light such a big fire in you. And not only is he going to show you bigger new possibilities, but he's going to get into some nitty gritty details on how to get a book deal, how to start speaking, how to get paid to speak and, and some really hard hitting advice on how to make these biggest dreams a reality in our life. Without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Alex Benayan. Alex Benayan, I'm so happy that you're here right now. I am so happy to be here. It's so fun. Everybody loved you the first time. And you guys, if you don't know Alex from his first episode, we will link to that first episode in the show notes. But Alex, so much has been happening in your life since you were here, um, since your book became a number one international bestseller. He's 27 years old. It's amazing. Uh, what I want to do today is talk about this whole thing, this whole journey. And I know so many of our listeners gosh, they would love to have a successful book. And Alex, you guys, he's been all over the world. And just rattle off for us. Tell me the names of some of the incredible companies that you've gone and spoken to. Yeah, it's the dream come true. We've done keynote events for Apple, Google, Nike, IBM, Disney, Salesforce, Snapchat. Sometimes it's, you know, really big event, like for Intuit's QuickBook Connects. It was, you know, 5,000 people. In oh my gosh. Center. Oh, definitely one of the coolest venues was the MGM Garden Arena where like, you know, Beyonce and Drake perform. Stop it. Um, oh but then God. also it's, you know, really small, intimate company offsites for IBM with a hundred of their marketing executives. Okay. So it's, it's absolutely amazing for those people listening who might feel really small right now. And like, that seems so overwhelming and so far, far, far away. Can you break this down a little bit? Like, how do we, as aspiring authors and speakers, how do people look at the path and learn to take mm. the next step? Like, what are some of those steps? Actually, it's so funny. Someone asked me this. I was at an event. and Someone said something along the lines of books are really the avenue for speaking. Is that what resonates? For you? And that didn't resonate at all. But that is the case for most people. Um, for me, the speaking actually fuels the mission, not the other way around. Oh, explain what you mean by that. So that, that sounds promising. You're saying you don't have to have a book to be a speaker? You don't have to. You know, the book came out a year ago, but I've been professionally speaking for seven years. My first corporate speech with Nike was, I think, seven years ago. The first big one with IBM was six years ago. So, wow. you know, I didn't write a book to be a speaker. And I didn't speak to write a book. It, to me, it was really this larger mission that preceded both of them. My biggest realization of the you know, nine years of working on the third door is that you can give someone all the best tools and tactics in the world and their life can still feel stuck. Yeah. But if you change what someone believes is possible, mm. they'll never be the same. And that's really the heart of whether it's the book or whether it's the speed. That's the, the reason I do what I do is I'm on a mission to inspire the next generation to believe in what's possible. And although I am, you know, on a plane a lot, and although, you know, I've been on the grind, you know, on book tour a lot, it 
doesn't feel like a grind. Yeah, because you're so in alignment and there's so much purpose in what you're doing. I was talking to Colby Calais a couple of weeks ago. She's a singer-songwriter. And I said to her, you know, I really recently got it that people who are in this field, they're like doing ministry, like however you want to define that. Like they yeah. get to basically show up and sacrifice so much of their life to share a vision, to help. And when it's that, when it's coming from that place, oh my God, is it so rewarding and it's so life-giving and you are, and I've, I've seen you speak live and the whole room, it's like you turn electricity on and it goes inside of everybody's heart. And it's like, you are a lightning rod <laughs> and just being in your company, you do give people permission to believe. Yeah, I, I love that word permission because what's crazy is the only person's permission you need is your own, but we're human beings and we were trained to look for external permission. It's true. And that's my mission. Let's talk about this for a second. I want you to paint a picture. What does it look like when you want to open someone's eyes and wash off their dirty lenses and be able to put new glasses on so that somebody can see possibility. Mm. What are we seeing through your eyes? What does it look like that's possible that you want people to breathe in? In a big picture, it's realizing that the key for them to liberate themselves is in their own pocket. And that's on a personal level, whether you know, you're in a relationship that makes you feel imprisoned whether you're in a culture or a social environment that makes you feel trapped or whether it's career-wise. You know, for me, it started career-wise. When I was starting the mission of the third door, when I was this 18-year-old, I felt trapped. And not only was I trapped, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And what no one tells you is every answer that you need, you have access to within yourself. But the scary part isn't you know going out to accomplish it. The scary part is leaving the life you currently have. You'll appreciate this. I was a Rosh Hashanah service. And my favorite rabbi, she said, you have to remember your future. You have to remember your future. And what that means to me is when we feel inside of ourselves that calling, that whisper, that's your future talking. Mm, and it's your job, your present self's job, to remember what that future is for you. And for the people who didn't catch the first episode, the basic premise of the third door is after you know seven years of researching the world's most successful people, trying to figure out what that definitive mindset of success is, what I've realized is every single one of them treats life and business and success the exact same way. And you know, you know the analogy, it's like getting into a nightclub. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block, where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. That's the first door. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go through. And what school and society doesn't tell you is that there's always, always a third door. And at the entrance where you have to jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door 100 times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen, there's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software or how Lady Gaga got her first record deal. They all took the third door. And what I learned about that analogy, not just through the research of the successful people I talked to, but even just this past year hearing readers' responses and also looking at my own life, the hardest part of achieving a dream, the reason most people don't go after their dreams, is not because of the difficulty of running down that alley and banging on the door. It's not on the execution of the dream. The hardest part of achieving a dream is having the courage to leave the line for the first door because that's where your friends are. That's where your family expects you to be. That's where you're surviving to leave the place that is currently sustaining you emotionally, physically, socially is against human nature. If someone listening to this does have something they really want, they need to have clarity that the hard part is not achieving it. The hard part is having the courage to leave behind the life you already have.
Mm. It's so powerful what you're saying and it's so needed. Here's the thing. I think that we have conditioned ourselves that we can't make it down the path. Who are we to ask to go down the path? Well, that's the implicit message of society. There are two kinds of messages we grew up with. Explicit messages and implicit messages. For example, you know, a boss says, you know, we are focused on innovation and risk-taking. That's the explicit company culture. But the second someone takes a risk and messes up and they get fired, that's the implicit message. So true. And people so are like, good. well, our core values say risk-taking is the key, but how come none of our employees take risks? I don't know, Bob. Maybe you should stop firing <laughs> everyone who takes a risk. You know? Right. So if you really want to look at why you're doing what you're doing, you really have to look very close and it's hard to do and pull back the layers and figure out what were the implicit messages you were raised with. I'll give you an example when it comes to persistence, right? What are the explicit messages of persistence? They're actually amazing. Try, try again. You can set anything you put your mind to. You know, in America, there's very beautiful explicit messages around persistence. But what's the reality? Let's say you want to be on the baseball team in high school and you try out one time and you don't make it. You really build up the courage and try a second time. You still don't make it. Let's say you are crazy and you try a third time and you still don't make it. What does your mother, what do your best friends say? Please don't do this. You're going to get hurt. Why, why don't you try basketball? You're so good at jumping. And those are not the haters. That's not your competitors. Those are the people who love and protect you. And that becomes the implicit message. And the reality is you actually have as many at-bats as you're willing to give yourself. Mm. And, you know, that brings it all back to what we talked about when it comes to the book and when it comes to speaking. The reason I say I've been speaking for seven years, it's taken seven years, you know, to build it to this point. Um, with the book, it took getting a literary agent was the craziest journey. And it, the amount of failure along the way was preposterous. I want to talk about that too, yeah. because on the first episode, which was so good, we talked a lot about the book itself, but the process of you getting a book deal, we only kind of touched on it. And you're now talking about rejection. So what did that look like for you? You had this idea and how did it okay. go? All right. So first of all, what you need to know is I didn't even want a book deal. The only reason I was I needed it is because Bill Gates' office says we don't do interviews with 19-year-olds without a book deal. So I was like, okay, what? great. And Bill Gates' office was very clear and needed to be with either, you know, Penguin or Random or something like that. So I was like, great. Um, so self-publishing was not an option for me. So I set off on the journey. The first thing I did was I just Googled it. I read a bunch of articles. There's great articles on Tim Ferriss' blog. There's great articles on the internet. And I had, you know, in my dorm room, you know, 50, 100 different business books too. The first thing I did is I made a list of the authors I admired the most who are in my genre. And I began cold emailing them asking for advice. And I'll give a quick aside. If anyone wants to cold email someone who's hard to reach or who you don't know, this is the secret template. I give credit. I learned this when I interviewed Tim Ferriss for the third door. This is how it goes. You know, dear so-and-so. I know you're incredibly busy and you get a lot of emails, so this will only take 60 seconds to read. And then boom, next paragraph is one to two sentences max of who you are. Context is relevant to the person you're reaching out to. Boom, next paragraph is again, one to two sentences max of a hyper-specific question. And then the final paragraph is the clincher. I totally understand if you're too busy to respond. Even a one or two line reply will completely make my day. All the best, Alex. So I started doing that and I was shocked that the responses flooded in and a great subject line that I used because it's honest and short is let's just email you. It'd be like Kathy dash your advice question mark. So, you know, I started emailing all these authors and some of them gave me a couple line reply over email. Some of them took phone calls, a couple met in person, could not be more grateful for them. And this is the big advice I got. The key to getting a major publishing deal for a nonfiction book is you first need a literary agent that is an A-plus literary agent because that's what's going to make the publishers trust that this – first of all, it's why they're going to take the phone call and even read the proposal. Right. 
And before you can get a literary agent, you need a book proposal. So I asked all these authors, how should I write a book proposal? And they gave me these recommendations. There's a book called Bulletproof Book Proposals. There's a book called Authors 101 Best-Selling Book Proposals. There's a book called How to Write a Book Proposal. And then there's a book called Thinking Like Your Editor. If you read those four books word for word, you will have a grasp for what you need to do in the beginning. Can you just tell me, before we move on to the literary agent piece, broad strokes, what's in that proposal? This is what none of the books actually say, but this is my takeaway. Every page of that proposal needs to earn them to turn the next page. The person reading your proposal is not a person whose job it is is to professionally read proposals at a publishing house. It is an editor who is currently probably working on Phil Knight's next book and Bill Gates' next book, and they're carving out a couple minutes to read the opening page. You writing needs to be so compelling that they procrastinate their other work to keep reading. So how did you do that? Here you were like a kid, right? What was it about that that spoke to them? Like what did you put it? What was some of the DNA of what you wrote? Well, first of all, the opening, you need to know the art of compelling writing. So you actually want to hook them right in the beginning. You want to say something that they've never heard before. If you're saying people aren't happy with their jobs, if that's your opening line, mm. they could substitute the name of the author with any other author and that proposal still works. We had Brian Grazer on recently and he uh, said, he's great. he's great. He said, every successful person he knows, I said, what do they have in common? He said, they have a point of view. It's not just people aren't happy at work. It's like, no, no, what's your specific point of view on this whole thing? Now, what I would say to people who might get intimidated by that, just start yeah, and then try your best. And then when you show it to other smart people, look them in the eyes and say, please, for the love of God, do not sugarcoat. Yeah. My other piece of advice to insert here before we go into the literary agent, how that happened, is something Seth Godin said, which I love. And he says, everybody will say at least once or twice, God, how do you deal with writer's block? Like I got so much writer's block. It's so hard to write a good proposal. It's so hard to write a good chapter, a good book. He said, but I never, never, never hear somebody say, I got talker's block. So start talking, right? Start talking and start writing the way you talk just to start to get it moving. And so my little piece of advice here from my perspective would be if you want to figure out what your point of view is, start podcasting or blogging every day and just write the way you talk or talk the way you talk on a podcast and begin to hear it and get comfortable with it and figure out and ideate. And finally, you will be like, oh, this is my freaking perspective. This is what I have to say. This conversation is awesome. But before we keep going, we're just going to thank today's sponsor. The holiday season is right around the corner, which means we're all running around getting gifts for the people we care about. Think about giving yourself the gift of listening with an Audible membership. For a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month at audible.com slash dreamjob or text dreamjob to 500-500. Audible has an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and my audiobook. As you might know, my audiobook, Don't Keep Your Day Job, is available on Audible. So many of you have already started listening and telling me how much you're loving it. So thank you for that. I did narrate it myself. So it's my voice feeding you all the inspiration, the stories, the takeaways that I've picked up on this incredible journey, like how to get clarity on what you're here to do, grow your audience, get over your imposter syndrome, and make a living doing what you love. I really poured my heart and soul into this, and I know it's going to give you that last lift to step up to the plate and start taking action toward the life you deserve. I know you're super busy juggling the day job, your family, your business, but with the Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, and on any device, mobile, Alexa-enabled, Bluetooth, and more. Listen while you're shopping, on your commute, working on your side hustle, anytime you can't read, you can listen with Audible. For a limited time, get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month. That's more than half off of the regular price. Each month, choose one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash dreamjob. D-R-E-A-M-J-O-B or text DreamJob to 500-500. Give yourself the gift of listening. And you guys, don't forget, if you go ahead and download my audiobook on Audible, it'll count towards us possibly making the New York Times bestseller list at the end of the month for bestselling audiobook. So go ahead and grab this deal while it lasts. Moving into the next piece, you then have this proposal and you said there was a lot of rejection in the next phase. Well, so the way you find a literary agent, this is like the recipe, the harder to execute. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Make a list of the 25 books that have 
succeeded in your genre. Open them up, go to the acknowledgement section, open it up. It's going to say, I would like to thank my literary agent so-and-so. Mm-hmm. You put so-and-so's name on an Excel sheet. Right. Now you have 25 literary agents. Mm-hmm. And then what you're going to do is you're going to go Google those 25 agents. And you're going to see some of them have 30 New York Times bestsellers. Some of them, for some reason, have two. And then you arrange that list of 25 in order of the ones that you resonate with the most. And then you start working the list. Ideally, the dream is to get warm introductions, authors they currently represent to make an intro. But you can also cold reach out. Cold is really hard. And people say, well, I don't know the authors represent. That's why this takes a long time. So how long did it take you and how many emails do you feel like you sent? Oh, until- God. Um, too many. <laughs> the whole process of getting a literary agent was eight months for me. Now, once I signed with that literary agent to perfect the proposal was two months. Getting the book deal was 72 hours. Now, that's because the right pieces were in play. Oh, my God. And tell them in case they didn't listen to the first episode. The week it came out, you hit the USA Today bestseller list, did you not, the first week? And you guys, I want you to- When it came out. And you guys, I want you to hear this because most people, if you don't already have an audience, it's really difficult. You're not Michelle Obama. And all of a sudden, look what you did. It's absolutely incredible. And part of it is you had been speaking. You had been putting this out in the world while you were writing the book, while you're trying to find... Because each one of the interviews you had took a a lifetime, right? It was like nine months to Gaga, 10 months to Larry King, right? Warren Buffett was the hardest. I wish. It took three years to Gaga. It took two years to Bill Gates. You know, Warren Buffett, I spent eight months writing him letters and, you know, he wrote letters back, but it didn't lead anywhere. And talk about perseverance. So in that rejection, how did you keep going when you're hearing like, nope, uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. And you just stay with it. Okay. So I'll tell you, you know, we'll use Warren Buffett as an example, because that was probably the darkest it got. So, you know, I set off to go interview Warren Buffett. And, you know, what I did is I was like, look, I'm not going to reach out to ask him for an interview until I'm really prepared. So I bought like 20 biographies on him. I'm waking up at 6 a.m., reading every morning. I'm watching every interview at night. After two months, I finally write what I think is the perfect letter. And I handwrite it and I send it to his office and I actually get a handwritten response back. that says, you know, dear Alex, Congratulations on what you're working on. It sounds like a wonderful mission. However, my plate is far too filled and I respectfully have to pass. All the best to Warren E. Buffett. On the one hand, first, I feel like I'm punched in the gut. But the next morning, I think if he's taking the time to handwrite a response it. back, you know, I'm like 99% there. So I decide that I'm going to start waking up at 4 a.m., you know, I'm going to run down the sidewalk in the morning, you know, with Eye of the Tiger bumping in my headphones, imagining Warren Buffett at the sidewalk. Like, I'm going to make it my number one thing in life. And that was the biggest mistake I could make. I wrote letter after letter after letter after letter after letter. Every week I called his office over and over and over and over. And, you know, by three months of rejection, you feel really dark. By six months of rejection, you want to cough up blood. And it got to the point where I literally flew to Omaha. I was like off the rails and got to Omaha. It turned out to be the biggest snowstorm they had in 30 years. I'm in on the Motel 6, shivering on the floor. And I'll never forget, literally there was a cockroach walking like right in front of my nose. And the worst part is I, I had brought this upon myself. You know, no one told me to do this. and. I gave up. I said, this isn't worth it anymore. Why am I killing myself, making myself miserable for what? And I completely gave up and I threw in the towel. And, you know, sure enough, a couple weeks after I said I give up, I was back at it. And in hindsight, I can see why I was able to get back on the horse. Two things. Number one, do you remember the movie Castaway? Yeah. Okay. So remember like Tom Hanks, when he's on the island, he has like that ball Wilson, mm-hmm. volleyball Wilson that he, you know, when he's going insane, that's the only thing he can talk to. <laughs> oh I, I had become Tom Hanks. I was going insane on an island that I had created for myself. At the darkest, darkest moments, to me, my Wilson was the reason I had started this in the first place. 
I just believe if all these people came together, not for press, not to promote anything, but really to share their best wisdom with the next generation, young people could do so much more. It was the final thread that I could hold on to to help me from completely giving up, even though consciously I said I give up. The second thing that I think is grossly underestimated, take a nap, go for a walk, have some ice cream. Like I pushed myself so hard. So much of what I thought was miserable entrepreneurial grind was just bad physical care. Mm. Because, you know, it's just so sexy, you know, to not sleep. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations. You're digging your own grave. Yep. Yep. And taking a nap, going for a walk, turning off your phone, taking a couple days off can be the difference between you completely giving up and burning out and you continuing. Because the only thing worse than wasting a couple hours is completely pushing yourself off the cliff. Yeah, it's so true. That's why in, in my book, I actually wrote this whole chapter on learning to restore because what I've learned in my own journey is that it's the moments where I walk away from the computer and I take the walk without my phone and something comes into focus. There's like an alignment. There's some kind of awakening. There's some kind of inspiration that comes into focus. And I go, oh, when I get home, I know what I want to do. I want to talk about how you started then while you're doing all this stuff with the book and you're on this mission, you begin your career. You start speaking. You start doing it for free. So when I said that my first speech with Nike was seven years ago, that was my first paid speech. But if we're just counting speaking about the book, I started speaking about the book nine years ago. Within the first year of the book, I was doing free speaking engagements. Yeah. No matter where you live, there is a community center where they're doing something. They will take free speakers. How many of those do you feel like you did? A dozen, two dozen before you said, okay, way way more. Wow. Well, there's a thing. Now, look, it, it depends what your goal is. If your goal is to be a paid professional speaker, you have to ask yourself, okay, what does someone who's going to pay want? Well, they want to see a video mm-hmm. of you speaking that is of the quality of someone who already is a speaker. So how do you get a video of you of a quality of someone who gets paid to speak before you get paid to speak? You know, it's the chicken before the egg. You do it for free. Yeah. So you try to get on as many stages as possible. You keep, you know, spinning that flywheel. First of all, you just want to video everything. But if you get the opportunity to speak for free at a place that has a very nice looking stage with a big audience, then you might want to take, you know, $500 out of your pocket, which is hard. I know a lot of people that's for most people, for me, especially. So I didn't have $500. I asked a couple of friends in college to do it for free. Yeah. Build them to video it. um, And then every, Every speech that you do, you ask the event planner for a blurb, a testimonial saying how, you know, how good it was. And then you create a website for, you know, Squarespace or WordPress. And I was doing all this. I didn't have money. Yeah. And then do you put out there like, these are the topics, these are the things that I speak on? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have, you know, three speaking topics, you know, with a couple paragraphs explaining what it is and what the transformation is for the audience. Because people aren't buying, if you're not a celebrity, they're not buying you, they're buying a transformation for their audience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And why are you the most credible person to give this? So do you have blogs? Do you have articles about, you know, what you speak about? Do you have an Instagram page that, you know, has traction? People want to see momentum. You know, I wrote a lot of articles for free. Fast Company and for, you know, Fortune and for Inc. and for Huffington Post and for the Washington Post. It's so smart. And then when you wanted to start to get those paid speaking gigs, you took that website, you took some of those clips of different places that where you wrote, and what did you do? This is the thing. If the quality is good, which is the hardest part, Steve Martin has a great quote. He says, the hard part isn't getting discovered. The hard part is being good enough to be discovered. Mm-hmm. But it's also going to events where people speak. You know, the first, the Nike event that I spoke about, I actually met the person, the executive at Nike, at another conference that I was at. The IBM speech I got is because I wrote a guest post for TechCrunch that did really well online and someone who worked at IBM read the article. So literally, it's you don't know what's going to work. So you just keep putting out really high quality material. And again, the reason most people don't do this, it takes a lot of time. And mm-hmm. that's really how it gets going. 
And then I think a lot of people will say the big misconception is that the key to being a successful speaker is a speaker's agent. It's not true. A speaking agent is very helpful once you already have some momentum. You can do it without one. What you don't want is to be a new speaker and saying, oh, I want Bill Clinton speaking agent because that will push me to the top. No, what you actually want is someone who is an expert on booking unknown new speakers. Right, right. I didn't know that, but that's actually what you want. Yep. And that helps, you know, build and grow. And there's this great program for anyone who's like really, really serious and wants it to be their career. There's this program that my friend runs called Three Ring Circus, which I did. It's in Detroit. It's, you know, run by one of the, you know, top speakers in America. And it's 24 hours and tells you everything you need to know. Amazing. Um, Remember before, early on, you know, we repeated it and repeated it because it's so beautiful. And you shared this message about how you want to help people see what's possible. And then we were just talking about all that goes into what it is you're doing. And I think a lot of people can go, forget it. It's so much work. He just said, you have to speak a dozen, two dozen times for free. Then you have to do this. The (laughs) thing is, PS, you guys, he's 27, right? Like he's been experiencing success now for years already. So as much as you're like, forget it, it's just going to take me. It's like, the time will pass anyway. And it's not years. It's not like it's going to take you in the next 40 years of your life. And so Alex, I want you to help. It's actually easier if you're older. People, I think a lot of people who are a bit older think it might be easier when you're younger. Uh, I have a friend who had done zero public speaking his whole life, Cal Fussman. Um, He's known now because he has a podcast called Big Questions. And he was a writer uh, for Esquire magazine and written some best. He had never done any public speaking. And I helped him sort of turned the boat around and that's amazing two years he's been doing better than ever and i think a lot of people think that you know you have less and less chance when you get you know maya angelou wrote i know why the cage bird sings when she was 40 you know maya angelou when i interviewed for the third door was 85 and i asked her what are her closing words of advice and she said i'm 85 and i'm just getting started Mm. but you have to go to work Tell us what you said in the beginning was what's possible. What does your life look like? What have you gotten to do? What have been the highlights? Show us what's possible when we put in the work. What is there for people? What kind of life? What kind of new expansiveness comes along? What's possible, Alex, for the life that we can live? Oh, my God. You can achieve your dream and the dreams you didn't even know that you had. When I started... You know, I had my conscious dream, which was, I want to learn how to be successful. You know, I'm going to go talk to Bill Gates. I'm going to go talk to Larry King. And I did it, you know, it was really hard, but I did achieve that conscious dream. I also had subconscious dreams that I wasn't aware of. What I was also looking for was a sense of belonging. And this journey introduced me to the greatest, best friends I could have imagined. You know, people like you came into my life through our friend, you know, Brad and you know, Cal Fussman and a man named Elliot Bisno. And I made my best friends through this journey. My mom and my sisters, our whole family is different in ways that it's very hard to even put into words. But what happens is that everyone knows that fear is contagious. But what we don't talk about is how courage is contagious. Oh, I love that. So good. And the ripple effect of one person, even though they're afraid, having the courage to take a shaking and quivering step towards the life that they know awaits them. If they have that courage to go forth, the ripple effect will be more beautiful than they could ever imagine. But you have to take that step. It's one of the most beautiful things I have ever heard. The courage is contagious and it's amazing and it's so true. I used to have this quote in the bottom of my email address uh, signature and it said, our own self-realization is the greatest gift we give the world because it is so true. I say this in my book, like why should you do the thing you love? The greatest reason is it gives permission to people around you that maybe they too can have a life that feels even more joyful, that they too could go 
bake something, write something, speak to someone, do something. You start to be a beacon, a lighthouse. You start to show other people that. And that is really who you are and what you do. Before we go, I want you to tell us a little bit about your audiobook because you're such an incredibly connected person that I think what's unique is not just what you say, but the way you say it. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, especially my listeners would probably love to listen to your book and you have this book, which is just, what's amazing about your book is not just that it did really well in week one. The goal of a great book is that it stays, it stays. And that's what you've been doing. That's really actually so such a tiny, tiny group of people that have done that. So this audiobook. Tell us about that and, and where can we find it? And did you love recording it? So first you write the book. And then when the book's almost done, your publisher's like, all right, now it's time to record it as an audiobook. And the first thing I did was I contacted, you know, 20 authors who I admire and asked them advice for their audiobook. And almost all of them said how much they hated the process. And I was like, okay, what went wrong? So I, you know, studied all of that and I realized the first time they were even reading the book out loud was in the audio booth. I was like, okay, okay. Let's definitely not do that. So I read the entire book out loud six times before I even stepped foot. Of course you did. And it takes a long time. It takes, you know, days to read a whole book out loud. The other thing I did is I realized a professional narrator, a professional actor, actress, or voiceover artist had some form of professional coaching. And then authors just are like, well, I'm just going to walk into that booth and start talking. So I ended up meeting with a vocal coach who was a vocal coach for Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake, Mike Posner. And he heard about the mission of this book. And I give him all the credit. He was so inspired. He donated free lessons. So I'm extremely grateful for him. And then on top of that, I met a music composer who read the book and he was crying by the end of the book and he offered to help make an original composition. So the third door, not only is it read in this, you know, so you know cool. really compelling style, it also has this gorgeous violin opening, Aww. closing in between. So it's really, really fun. And the book has done really well, but the audiobook is one of the highest rated audiobooks in the business category on Audible. Amazing. That's like my big, big thing that I was very passionate about making it the best I could. That's so cool. Yeah, it's because I, it's how you say it is so potent. It's so absolute. It's so true. The words from the heart speak to the heart. So I think listening to your audiobook would probably be such a gift. I just read your book. Now I want to go check out the audiobook also. So we will link to that in the show notes. Alex, thank you so much you for coming amazing. back again. You are incredible incredible. Where can we find you? You know, social media is really fun. So whether it's Instagram or Twitter, it's at Alex Benayan. And if anyone does end up getting the audiobook through this show, let me know so I can say a giant thank you. Oh, so great. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for being here and much continued success. I really could talk to Alex all day. He's just so awesome. Here are the takeaways. Number one, you can give someone all the best tools and tactics, but they'll still feel stuck. Change what they believe is possible and they'll never be the same. Number two, the key to liberate yourself is in your own pocket. Number three, remember your future. Number four, the hardest part is not achieving the dream. It's leaving behind the life you already have. Number five, find your Wilson, find your why. Number six, take a nap, go for a walk, have some ice cream. This could be the difference between you completely giving up and you continuing towards the dream. Number seven, no matter what age you are, you're just getting started but you have to go to work. Number eight, you can achieve your dream and the dreams you didn't even know you had. And number nine, courage is contagious. When one person has the courage to take one shaky step towards the life they know awaits them, the ripple effect will be more beautiful than ever imagined. Okay, now let's celebrate your wins. Lisa posted in our Facebook group and she said, if you want to make someone's day, leave them a review. My win this week was getting this amazing review in my Etsy shop. I started my shop less than a year ago after reading a post in this group about print-on-demand products by Paul Brown. I've slowly been growing my following, and I'm excited to enter my first holiday sales season with more than 500 sales to date between my shop just for viola players and my shop for all other classical musicians. Go tell someone you shopped with that you like their product or service, and go review Kathy's book. You're so sweet. That's so nice, Lisa. Wow. 
over 500 sales. That is incredible. Way to go. I love this message because I know from personal experience that you're right. It's so true. A nice review and positive feedback can really make someone's day. It really can be the thing that's responsible to help them keep going. Thank you for telling people to leave a review for my book. That means the world to me. And you guys, yes, please go review my book because the more reviews, the more people start to buy the book for themselves. And let's all return the favor. Go check out Lisa's Etsy store, Alto Clef Gifts, and tell her what you think about her awesome designs. Okay, here's the next win. Alyssa said, I have to share a really exciting win I experienced this week, getting my writing published by Thought Catalog. It's crazy because all week things had been feeling tough for me. I was feeling discouraged, second-guessing myself, wondering what my path even is. I even posted my vulnerable feelings in this group, which was received with open arms and such helpful feedback. I'm really thankful for this group and for the encouragement we're able to provide one another on our difficult days. So here's me paying it forward for what you all helped me feel the other day. Keep going, especially when it feels bleak and hopeless and hard. It wouldn't be on our hearts if we couldn't handle it. We've got this. Alyssa, congrats. You should be really proud of yourself. It makes me happy to hear that this community is a safe space where you can take that courageous step and be vulnerable and honest. And I think your ability to put yourself out there, even if you don't feel like you have it all together, that's really going to help you soar. You can go read her beautiful article entitled With Pain Comes the Gift of Compassion. It's on Thought Catalog and go follow her at Life by Alyssa. I love hearing your wins and this Facebook group, as you've been hearing, is so special. It's such a safe place to get encouragement. So please come on over to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group, or you can DM me on Instagram at kathy.heller. Also, you can go to my new website, kathyheller.com, Kathy's with a C. On the homepage, there's a quiz that helps you figure out like which would be the best passion project for you. How do you figure out how to clarify what you want to do? And there's lots of other cool things on the website, lots of cool resources. So go check that out. But I'm always there to respond. If you want to email us, hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com, or you want to DM me, I read and respond to every DM. If for some reason you haven't already subscribed to the show, please go ahead and do that and leave us a review. But the biggest thing for you to review this week is like Alyssa said, please leave a review for the book. It means so much to me and it helps us more than you know. And if you like this episode or any other episode, take a second and share it with a friend and let them know like what your biggest takeaway was. As Alex said, courage is so contagious. So let's spread it as far as we can. Thank you guys so much. I love you. Don't forget to go to audible.com slash dream job and get yourself the audiobook because I'm reading it and I think that you guys will love it. Love you guys so much. I'll talk to you Monday.